This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network On Tour. We are in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. And I'm Kat Johnson. We are here now at Haberdish. We have Jeff Tony Dandel and Colleen Hughes with us. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for hosting us here today. So we are in uh, a neighborhood a little bit outside of Charlotte downtown. Can you give us an orientation as to where we are geographically and historically? Yeah, we are uh, two miles north of uptown Charlotte. So we're in a little neighborhood called Noda. And uh, this is the kind of the arts district of town where... um, Everybody's welcome here, and uh, we have a little bit different vibe, uh, a little more relaxed kind of neighborhood here. And uh, you're in what used to be in the 1930s and 40s was the general store for our little mill town. So we have, as you kind of travel out from from the city, you kind of come happen upon a uh, old, uh, just an old kind of southern town is what is what you'd expect. And it's uh, just been, you know, we have a bunch of restaurants here and tattoo parlors and uh, used to be a bunch of art galleries and um, just some really cool bars and a, and a great vibe. And how long has the neighborhood looked the way that it has right now with all of these breweries and restaurants? Uh, it's kind of a, about eight years. There's a restaurant a few doors down called Crepe Cellar that came in in the uh, kind of the, the bottom of the recession mm-hmm. as right as Wachovia was leaving and the absolute bottom of the market. And uh, we actually started that one. Um, so Colleen was there uh, with us, and uh, it uh, kind of was the shift of all the uh, art galleries closing here and uh, and moving out, and uh, some restaurants and bars kind of moving in and um, uh, reshaping the neighborhood. But we still managed to keep the same vibe and the same feeling. And uh, we actually have some artwork in here from the original artist that started uh, started Noda. So. Um, we really appreciate everything they've done, and they're they're kind of the heart of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some notes on the back of your menu about some of the special features of the the building and some of the materials that you have inside. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, I mean, just like our foods kind of sourced regionally, and uh, um, the spirit of the South is is a big part of what we do here. Uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff around here is very mill oriented factory oriented um we have a denim that comes from a own an old cone mill it's called a salvage denim and uh it's kind of what makes up our booths but it's from a, a a mill that they've kept running and kept working for uh for a long time since the the 20s and 30s and uh so we kind of made our booths out of that and uh, we have some soapstone from virginia which is our our bars made out of and just a lot of uh uh, hand-spun copper uh, lights, fixtures, and, and that kind of stuff. So, What about the name Haberdish? Where did that come from? So, yeah, Haberdish is a play off of uh, Haberdashery, which is a men's clothing store. Um, so it's kind of sticking true to our mill town roots and the, the fabric uh, of, the, of the town here. And uh, so we just kind of um, did our own riff on that and came up with Haberdish. And tell us about the food that you serve here. So we call ourselves a Milltown Southern Kitchen, and it's uh, the food is based off of just exploring um, Charlotte's cuisine. And uh, Charlotte's cuisine is 
is a we're a crossroads town. We're a, a town um, where uh, we we get a lot of influences from a lot of the neighborhoods around us. We get a little bit of Appalachia. We get some uh, some low country cuisine, some coastal cuisine, and um, so we we kind of um, took that and uh, so you'll find a liver mush uh, appetizer on our menu, along with uh, we we do a big focus on fried chicken here, so um, just kind of getting to the the roots of of uh, what y- you would have seen when this when the mills were running um, back in the day, and then trying to uh, source the best ingredients and and putting a lot of love and time into making everything so and you took us back to the kitchen to see how you are cooking the chicken can you tell us about that process yeah so the the fried chicken which is a big part of what we do it it all starts with trying to get the best ingredients so we source uh springer mountain chicken from georgia not too far away and it kind of hits our regional focus so we start with that and then um we brine the chicken overnight so we kind of have a a 12-hour, you know, process to uh, to begin the chicken, and I think um, it creates a nice backbone of flavor um, throughout the every every bite. And then, uh, yeah, then we um, batter the chicken, and then we cook them in uh, pressure fryers, and uh, and then you know garnish them and have our own hot sauce, and uh, just kind of try and serve them in a fun atmosphere with uh, some really awesome cocktails. Yeah, so the, that's before what we, need we I want to talk about cocktails next yeah. too, but also the hot sauce was delicious. Can you tell us about that really quick? Yeah, so our uh, head chef here, um, Carmen Spadaro, um, kind of took that and ran with it. And um, you know, we don't want to do Nashville fried chicken or something that's not authentic. And we really, you know, we spend so much time sourcing the chicken, brining the chicken, cooking the best chicken we can, and um, we want to have something that complements it and not something that kills it. Um, and we also, you know, wanted just the, the pureness of what we were cooking to, to shine. And uh, that hot sauce, um, it's a habanero hot sauce, but there's a lot of um, carrots and onions and other things in it and a lot of depth of flavor. And I think it complements the, the chicken really well and lets it shine and it doesn't smother it. And I think it's kind of true to, you know, what we're doing here. And it's made in house and, and you know. Uh, so... As we are sort of, we're talking about the food and we're talking about the space and we're about to talk about the cocktails, there's a really cohesive decor inside that uh, is inspired by the mint julep. Is that right? Well, yes, we, uh, <laughs> we, we kind of talked early on that, um, you know, the mint julep was important to us and um, it's kind of uh, my job to give Colleen all the tools she needs to make really awesome stuff. So, um, you know, some of some of those involve uh, unique glassware and mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of focus there, but um, it also involves having the right ice. So we we put a lot into building every drink up from the the ice to the glassware to what goes in the drink. And and the mint julep started with well we got to get and we got to get an ice machine that makes crushed ice. And uh, we tried a bunch of different um, things. We even tried crushing the ice ourselves. And uh, kind of, that didn't work. Uh, <laughs> Colleen's shaking her head. She's like, yeah, that was a bad idea. I almost broke my teeth a few times. Um, and then... Uh, you're crushing the ice with your teeth? <laughs> well, when you're sipping it, you kind of, you know, you got to test it out. And you're like, no, it's not. It's, it's much softer from the machine. Uh-huh. And then, um, yeah, and then from there, we, uh, you know, kind of um, got some hand-spun copper lights and then decided to kind of run with that and uh, get copper uh, mint julep cups that people keep stealing. Um, 
And they can buy them. You don't need to steal them. We'll sell them to you. Um, so <laughs> copper mint julep cups and, uh, and then all copper barware behind the bar. So I think we have a really kind of fun um, aesthetic back there that every single thing is copper that we use back there. And even our silverware that we serve to the guests is copper. So we kind of have a lot of fun with it and uh, kind of try and make it a little little old school to to the extreme so yeah um well colleen your reputation has preceded you as a really badass lady mixologist i'm really really happy to meet you because ted's been talking you up all day and we've heard great things about you um even before our trip down here and so i wanted to ask you First, kind of what are the sort of principles behind the cocktail menu here in the bar program in general? So the original idea and really what we try to keep a focus on was um, instead of, you know, the trends of like, you know, molecular mixology and all that, I wanted to do something a little bit more old school. So we're in our heads and hopefully on the menu uh, trying to be pharma apothecary kind of embracing some of the medicinal qualities in these more medicinal liquors and first understanding them ourselves and then second bringing them to people in a way that doesn't make it seem like we're trying to drug you that's important (laughs) there has to be a sense of trust in your bartender yeah Yeah. no but it it is it's just uh it's it's kind of sneakily adding different ingredients into our menus to um, to either make you feel more happy or engaged or a lightness of being or if you're getting towards the end of the night things that are going to calm you down or make you feel more relaxed and sort of taking it through through a day and the menu structure that we start with aperitifs and then we run through to digestifs and it really is kind of where do you want to be where do you want to be right now where do you want to be in an hour where do you want to be towards the end of your night are you planning to go out and get rip roaring drunk with your friends if so you've just had a big plate of fried chicken have a digestive it'll help you feel better and you can go back out and check out some other bars or are you planning on leaving here going home and hanging out and watching a movie then switch into something more like an after dinner drink that is still pretty spirit forward it's gonna help relax you but it's gonna help settle you down into the rest of your evening. So, um, and just kind of taking it sort of across the gambit. Um, And in Charlotte, we're the first bar to really kind of focus on those other categories. Like most people are like, here's my vodka drink and here's my tequila drink. We really wanted to do more of how much alcohol do you feel like you wanna consume, you know? And, um, And approaching it that way because Um, For a lot of, I think, people, maybe they're scared off of cocktails because they really know that they can only have a glass or two of wine and they're done. And there's really not a cocktail for them. So we've tried to make those cocktails for them, you know, and saying, like, I have five cocktails that are all fairly low gravity. You know, shims are huge in a lot of other cities. They really haven't caught on here yet. So trying to create lists that also sort of help people enjoy cocktails without getting completely sauced if they don't want to or if they want to we're happy to help there <laughs> you have something for that as well yeah. so we i believe we just tried the secret surf spot which <laughs> is under the more spiritist uh, category 
and it's a beautiful drink. Can you describe uh, that for us and tell us what's in it? They had it with a flower ice ball, too. Of course they did. Course. Uh, and I, I'm going to be absolutely honest. I didn't create that drink. I tried to um, allow my other bartenders who work under me to create things on their own and um, bring me their ideas and we work together on them and see if we can get them into fitting on our menu. And so that was actually created by one of our wonderful lady bartenders here, Rhea. She, um, she just kind of conceptualized it. We had already been making the grapefruit hibiscus syrup and I had said to her, I want to change what we're putting it in. Can you think of something else. And she came up with that secret surf spot. That little bit of salt for the salinity on it is perfect. Um, it uses our local gin, which is Doc Porter's. It's distilled here in Charlotte, which is a very cardamom uh, and sort of Asian spice heavy gin. Um, but yeah, that was just something that she had given to me and I absolutely loved. We worked on it a little bit together, and, and it went on the menu. Um, but for for me, I want to promote bartenders to do more interesting things uh, within our bar, um, sort of mentoring, I guess, um, but give them the opportunity to really express themselves with drinks and, um, and be creative and inventive and... Um, and build them to be the best bartenders that they can be. Charlotte is sort of coming into its own on cocktails, but it has been a, sort of a slow build. There's only a handful of places in Charlotte that are really working hard to kind of push boundaries within cocktails. Um, and so I try to really promote that within my bar staff of saying like, hey, I want your ideas and I want to see them come to fruition and if they're great they're going on the menu you know so just like that like the next day essentially or do you have like a workshopping process or period um yeah so when they have ideas they call me up and we get together when the restaurant's closed and we sit down and we talk about them um we come in on mondays when the restaurant's closed and we do a lot of prep and stuff like that and just develop ideas together um but yeah, I really want them to feel like they have as much of a sense of ownership as I do because I feel like, one, it, it keeps them engaged and it keeps them learning and, um, and to really develop talent um, within the city. It, it, there's also a, a crazy amount of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes into getting that cocktail on the menu from do we have enough glassware to serve that to 140 people and also... Um, in North Carolina, um, we might have a few bottles of something, but um, it, it, we have to uh, pre-order most of the specialty stuff in case allotments, um, usually um, four to eight weeks ahead of time. So um, there's a lot of planning that goes into making sure that we have everything and we don't just put something on the, on the menu and then uh, by the end of Saturday night, we're sold out of it and we won't have it back for a month. So we... Uh, we, we try and uh, try and alleviate all that stuff. But, yes, Colleen's job here in North Carolina is it's, it's pretty complicated to stay ahead of all that stuff. And there's just, yeah, there's a lot of things. We'll, we'll run out of ice if something's too heavy on one ice versus another ice and glasses and those kind of things. So, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of 
lot of complications and constraints that you got to think about. So speaking of um, certain things that you can't get a lot of sometimes, you were telling us about Buffalo Trace, um, and you recently got a barrel from them. Yeah, that's been uh, that's pretty pretty fun. Um, Colleen has a great relationship with uh, a lot of the reps, and uh, yeah, we got offered a, a whole barrel of Buffalo Trace, so our little uh, restaurant group um, bought. Uh, a whole barrel um and uh so you know 50 about a little over 50 gallons i think of uh buffalo trace so it was definitely a, a truck truck full and you um, get the barrel too and we got the barrel too which we're gonna put some uh beer in and uh, have some uh have some of our own beer but yeah so it's our own single barrel um buffalo trace and uh yeah i think it's great and uh we're trying to uh develop some cocktails we're gonna do with it right now so yeah it in North Carolina, we were really only allowed to order one bottle of Buffalo Trace per week. <laughs> That's it. It wasn't cutting it, though. So, And the demand is just so high, we were like, let's just make sure that we never run out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but it is, it is a... North Carolina is an extraordinarily restrictive alcohol state, and so a lot of things that I'm ordering in, I'm ordering in, and I may have tried it once, like at Tails, or I may never have had it. I might have just thought You're that reading looks reviews really online interesting. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to bring it in, but we really knew we wanted to have a very strong Amaro program, or as strong as we could. There's only really one Amaro on regular list in North Carolina. So the other 10 that we have, we're buying cases of and bringing in. Um, and then we also knew we wanted to do a lot with gin, again, another very medicinal um, alcohol. And I wanted to have a gin bar that nobody else could replicate in in the state. And so through special order and through just being diligent um, and getting out there and trying things, I've been able to, I think we have seven or eight gins that you won't find on any other bar in North Carolina. Um, and it, and it's really, uh, it's a very, very big point of pride for me personally to just say, you know, if you've come into our bar and you've had this amazing cocktail, it's because we have gone out and we have done the work and we have done the tasting, we've done the development because we can't just go to another bar and have it. We've literally had to create that thing in our restaurant. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of creating, you guys have a new bar menu coming out next week. <laughs> what can you tell us, Colleen, about the new menu? Um, well, it's going to be the first time we have really dropped an entire new menu since we opened. So we opened in December, obviously the height of the winter. Um, and then this new menu is really going to be staying in the same formula that we've always had of really trying to bring sort of medicinal and interesting things to the forefront. Um, but obviously much more light and refreshing. Uh, North Carolina gets real hot in the summer. So um, staying with that. But yeah, we've got just a bunch of really fun stuff and sort of approaching things in different ways. Uh, one drink that I'm um, really excited about is going to be for us, uh, a big departure. It's a uh, a drink that's going to be kind of a riff on a bee's knees, but I infuse the honey with um, Spanish saffron and uh, Madagascar vanilla. So then we build our our cocktail with that um, using a local gin. 
lemon juice. And then it comes with a little sidecar um, where I took the Szechuan flowers. A lot of people know them as buzz buttons. Tinctured them because they're out of control, like nuts on the palate. Um, so I tinctured them to kind of get it, get that under control and then um, added some yellow chartreuse. And so it re it's a drink in two parts. You drink your drink for a little bit and then you do a little sip of the Szechuan tincture, lights up your whole palate, and then the end of your drink is this whole other experience. Um, so that was a that was a long a long development drink, but I'm really excited because that'll come out next week. Um, be doing one drink that I'm uh, pretty excited about. We never really remembered to do a well-done vodka cocktail. Not to say that we haven't had, you know, vodka drinks, but I was like, we hadn't had a drink that I was like, felt like I was going to wow people with, with vodka. It, it's either a love or a oh, vodka sort of situation, but there are a lot of vodka lovers out there, and so we're going to be doing uh, a cocktail with uh, Doc Porter's, which is our local Charlotte distillery vodka, um, and it'll have watermelon and basil oil and black pepper, and um, it'll just be this beautiful, refreshing drink, and then it's got a rim of Himalayan pink salt on it as well, so it's kind of hitting all these... Uh, all these things on your palate all at once and then the little bit of basil oil that's on top really kind of helps coat the mouth and I feel like for a, a person who really is a vodka drinker it's going to be a whole different experience in vodka um, so that that is definitely one I'm I'm super stoked and about even like she's doing some cool things even like classic drinks like the Negroni adding a southern ingredient to it like Oh, yeah, uh, so <laughs> I infused a bunch of Campari with uh, salted peanuts, and it's actually a Mezcal Negroni, so it's a salted peanut Mezcal Negroni. Wow. wow. Um, and the salts, that after you know a few weeks of sitting on, on the salted peanuts, the, the Campari kind of smooths out a little bit of those rough edges, and then you come back in with that huge smoke hit from the Mezcal, and it's this crazy fun spirit forward drink um but yeah if if you love if you love negronis it's just a whole kind of new experience with them and uh obviously with negroni week coming up around the corner i wanted to put put something out that was going to be a, a lot of fun so uh well you guys are absolutely trailblazers in so many ways uh we talked about colleen you guys bringing in all of these special varieties of alcohols that you won't find at other bars in the state. And Jeff, you were the first Cicerone in North Carolina, and uh, you guys are part of this up-and-coming neighborhood. And this is only our second day, uh, my second day ever in Charlotte, so not really familiar with the bar scene here, but um, are there a lot of women heading up bar programs in Charlotte, and do you think that's gonna change? Colleen's working on it. I'm working on it, yeah. that's really, uh, so, at Haberdish, we have a very strong uh, female crew. We actually only have one male bartender. Nice. And <laughs> it wasn't really by design, but I I personally want to see more women getting promoted. I'm I'm I think I'm one of two female uh, heads of bar programs. Mm -hmm. I actually run the bar programs at four bars, um, which is neat. 
Um, so that should count for four, I yeah, think, at right? least. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but, and I'm the vice president of our local chapter of the USBG, and we're heading up our new... BG Bartenders Guild? Bartenders okay. Guild, sorry. Um, yeah, and we're a new chapter. We're not even a year old, but um, one of our big things is uh, trying to do a lot of education and specifically uh, doing some events that are sort of bartending 102 for women specifically because um, when, especially now with me breaking into the scene, I was the first female to really have notoriety in, in this market as a, as a female. And I want obviously to see more women rise up around me. Um, so that's really something I want to take uh, the women in the Charlotte community who maybe aren't getting these opportunities to go and learn and do and just teach them the fundamentals of cocktailing. Like, I'm not going to tell them what they should be making, but I want to teach them technique um, because I don't think a lot of females especially are given the opportunities to uh, go and take classes and do all these interesting things. And so to really personally, that's my huge my biggest mission within our guild is to raise the bar for females in our in our market, um, and which is why, like going back to Ria and her cocktail, like all of the women that work for me here, I want them, and I've told them this: it's in two years, I want you to go out and do my job somewhere else. Like I want to see you guys grow and learn, and then take over your own bar programs and and run them and put more women in the scene here um, because it is sort of disheartening every time I do an interview and they're like, Colleen, you're the female bartender of Charlotte. And I'm like, I mean, there's lots of them. I'm just the one that's getting a lot of credit and attention and having really supportive bosses who have let me kind of build and grow and elevate. So that, that to me is like my biggest give back is to try to promote women in this, uh, in this market in cocktailing as much as I can. Well, we can raise a glass to that for sure. Thank you so much. We're just about out of time. Um, thanks again to Jeff, Tony Dandel and Colleen Hughes for having us here at Haberdish on this beautiful afternoon and taking time out of your day to talk to us. I hope you'll come see us in Brooklyn at our studio in Roberta's. Give us a shout when you're in town. Sounds good. That would be thanks. lovely. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. You can check out our full series at heritageradionetwork.org. And if you love our programming, we are a member-supported nonprofit, so you can go to the top right corner of our website and click on the beating heart to donate. This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.